0: The idea being, and it sometimes makes sense, you'd rather have somebody be able to vote than simply disenfranchise them by not. But inside that argument, you've also got to say, well, if we know, shouldn't we take some steps to just ensure that they are legally able to vote?
1: This is Monica Perez, and joining me today is Real Clear Investigations journalist and author Steve Miller, who covers a variety of important topics, including two that I've spent a lot of time on, the impact of media on American opinion. I call it propaganda. (laughs) I haven't seen Steve use that word, so I'm gonna pick his brain a little bit about how he views it. And voting uh, as a political issue in itself, that's always been interesting to me, and I did a lot of work on the, Oh, election controversy post-2020, and uh, but there's one specific thing that Steve's done a lot of work on recently. I want to pick his brain on, but first let's say hi. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And I just wanted to, I know that I've read your work on real clear investigations, but actually all of your work isn't there. There are other places I've found it as well. Can you tell me, And listeners, where is the best place to get all of your stuff? Do you have a website, or um, how's the best way to follow you?
0: I I don't, and most of what I'm doing now is all on real clear.
1: Okay, excellent. Um,
0: So, I mean, I've worked for numerous outlets in the past.
1: Right, and I know uh, that you also are an author, uh, and do you do any social media? I don't. Okay, good for you. That'll keep you sane. (laughs) It is really ugly out there.
0: Yeah, it seems silly to me.
1: Yes. Uh, so, okay, the, the articles that caught my eye that you had written more recently were one, um, that Big Philanthropy, these are, I'm going to just read the three titles and ones that um, I want to focus on. Big Philanthropy Advances as a Big Player in the Private Funding of Public Elections. And then two others are Leftist Groups Tapping a Billion Dollars to Vastly Expand the Private Financing of Public Elections. And the last one I read was Republican-run states move to cut private billions from public elections. And what I had misunderstood about this issue before I read your articles was like, I thought it was about private, you know, like, citizens united thing where there was private money going into campaigns but this is private money going into actually running elections which is a public you know a public service a public obligation and i can see that making a lot of issues but why to c- catch your attention and can you just like give us an overview of what it, what the topic is and why it's controversial
0: well what's kind of interesting is how some of these groups have uh, i want to say you know used huge huge you know donations, huge... Uh, I mean, we started with uh, Arabella Advisors, which funds uh, numerous offshoot groups that help um, help fund these efforts to... And, and I, on the surface, these ideas are, are good. You want people to... You want to have a, a well-run election that somehow big money helps equals well-run. I don't know if that's true or not, but they're going to go on that assumption. And some people might believe that. But uh, they... You know, they're paying, they're, they're paying a lot of money to help these groups that tend to be progressive. In fact, lean almost exclusively progressive. And, um, and they do things like they're, they're creating ballots, they're creating websites, they're doing all kinds of things that generally used to be the function of the government, used to be the function of the actual elections administrator's office. And in doing so, they're also providing, as we saw in 2020, providing private grants uh, private private money to uh, these operations that are run really by activists. They aren't. They aren't. You know, some are. Some you know, some are former elections officials turned activists. Some are you know just simply uh, scholars that lean left and, and tend to you know apply their their uh, their craft to the elections. And they just have, have kind of overtaken or done a great job of. And this is legal, by the way. No, um, nobody's accusing anybody of doing anything wrong, but they're they're taking uh, steps in overseeing the overall administration of elections in America. Um, they're turning things like you know you're having Get Out the Vote, which used to be the uh, the domain of the uh, the candidates and the parties. Uh, they're turning that into something that the government is taking control of. They're having huge opportunities to you know to enlist voters. Uh, and so on, and then so it's really a, a large operation uh, with lots of money intended to get out a the vote of one particular party.
1: Yeah. Okay. So how how does it actually break Democrat? Is it because Republican Republicans vote and Democrats don't? So any get out the vote effort is getting Democrats out? Is it like what do you think the mechanism is that makes it so partisan in, in its impact?
0: well first of all it's the idea that everybody that staffs these these groups these um these nonprofits, and so on all come from uh you know progressive operations some of the democracy now some of them used to work of course for for various uh, progressive politicians and, and so on so a lot of that is uh, is just done and I, I don't think it's done covertly nobody's hiding this at all um and I, I don't know what attracts that ilk, and I've I've tried to pose this question: is why are why are Republicans not doing this? And I, I look at it a lot like it's a it's a football game. I mean, because I really, I mean, I'm not, I don't lean one way or the other, but I I look at it like it's more like a, a football game. And you ask the coach, she said, "How come you didn't defend against the run?" They said, "Well, we're going to defend against the run. Just watch next time." And then you <laughs> see the next time, and they don't defend against the run again. It's, I say, well, I guess they just aren't going to defend against. Them.
1: Okay, so you're identifying that the people who are actually manning these these initiatives are all left leaning. Let's say, and um, I think one way I, I know it's you said it's legal, it's basically above board, but I feel like there are a lot of little mm, ways that it's going to have an impact that aren't. Like when you were saying, some places actually asked them to open their books. There were a few different organizations. One was the Center for Technology and Civic Life, which is the one that's funded by the Zuckerbergs almost exclusively, and uh, and then but there's an alliance of these organizations, and they don't seem to be very transparent when people ask. Uh, for the information, according to your articles, but one thing that did come out, which I, I it really implies that they're influencing people top to bottom, is that you pay to join the alliance. Like the election official, I assume the public, um, you know, entity, the little government organization that runs the elections in that town, will pay for their officials to be in this alliance, and at the same time the Alliance obligates those people to get involved in non-monetary ways. And one of the obligations of membership, which you pay for, is that you have to go to some of these training sessions and other organizational activities by the Alliance. And I feel like there, there is, they probably do give the little tricks of the trade that can get out the right the quote right vote, which I'm sure can be identified by neighborhood and County. I mean, maybe it's as simple as that as like, they, they are just targeting specific places and they, they don't tell that openly, but they do. Once you start being, you know, in that little club, because it's weird that they meet, you know, that you have to, you, you are required to show up to some of these events. And, uh, you know, like why would you, if you're paying for, you know, paying for a membership, I just think that's weird that it gives you an obligation like that. And I feel like it's fishy.
0: It is kind of odd, isn't it? I mean, because you look at the contract and you're right uh, at CTCL, Center for Tech and Civic Life. That's the, the the primary, kind of the the primary group that's been connected. They were also connected in disseminating the, uh, that is what we call Zuckbox, the, the Facebook money. And they right. were funded by at that point in, in 2020. Um, uh, they aren't, By the way, exclusively funded. They they have a a large group now. It's really grown of funders. And I don't believe Zuckerberg is like currently part of that that funding mechanism. At least that would be the last uh, tax return that they filed. Okay, it didn't show any of that. But um, but you are right. They they do obligate members, and they 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 make it look like it's a you're selected, and this is your big opportunity. You can be a member. Um, and become part of our group, and you are obligated to, you know, to to be part of this entire effort of um, of making what their their ideas, making elections, uh, honest and open, and keeping democracy alive, which is <laughs> kind of a, a interesting turn of phrase. Um, and, and and again, I think you are right there. Selecting, they've got micro data. A lot of these groups have micro data. They know exactly where to go. To get which vote and and even down to the voter Uh, in in many cases don't know if you're registered what you're registered as i'll give an example in 20 i guess it was 2020 uh we had a woman in texas who went out and these are great at getting like with ballot harvesting you can go to i've covered this for for about a decade now you go to a residential home like a elderly person's like a rest home and so on and you go in, and you can say, "Listen, we're here to help everybody vote." And you know, everybody here is over sixty-five. Therefore, you're, this is in Texas. You can get a absentee ballot if you'd like, and they go and they sign them up. This is one person, I think, got four hundred mail ballots in one in one big in one election, and uh, they signed up to get their mail ballots. And generally, the tactic is, "Okay, you're going to get your absentee ballot mailed." Then you meet the ballot. This person that solicited—I don't know if this happened there, but that was—that's been the tactic for for a long time. You go and you meet the ballot. Then you're going to help people vote. You say we're here to help you vote, and you—we don't know now. We're relying on trust. Are you coaching the vote? Are you saying you know if you don't want Medicare, if we—if you don't want your Medicare cut or your Social Security cut, uh, you'll probably want to vote for this person. And it's a pretty easy twist. You also have people at some of these homes too, by the way, that are um, incapacitated mentally, and uh, they'll still allow them to vote. I, I know that.
1: Oh, sorry, my son has Down syndrome, which is why I had to pause when I go like he just walks by with radio playing. Um, so I, he, I'm his conservator. My my husband and I have a conservatorship over him because he's over eighteen, and they gave, him, gave us the right to make every single decision for him, including marriage. And that's, they don't usually give that one away. The only thing that they would not take away from him was the right to vote. And I just think that's, I mean, I understand. I, I'm not suggesting they start taking people's right to vote away. However, he's, like he is cer- literally certified mentally incompetent. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's the last thing that he should be able to do. I mean, he th- he wanted to vote. He he was in school like they taught him not to like Trump. But I said, well, what if Trump allowed people who had Down syndrome to drive? Would you like him then? And he just couldn't understand the hypothetical. So he he then he started liking Trump and he's like, I want to vote for Trump, you know, because he's going to let me drive, which is a terrible idea. The fact that he would vote for someone who would let him drive is the reason he should not vote.
0: Yeah. As easily influenced vote. Um, And yeah, and and you're in what state are you? What state is LA? I'm in Los
1: Angeles right now.
0: Okay. yeah. Every state's probably different, but I mean, perhaps every state's different. I don't know for sure, but I have a, a friend in North Carolina, and her mother is uh, uh, mentally compromised. She's elderly; she's like ninety something. And they, the political, the vote uh, harvesters or whatever, they came to the home and they said, "Well, you know, we, we, we here's her ballot, and she can vote." She's and and my friend said, to her, "She can't vote because she doesn't really understand what she's doing." And but they were there to see if she wanted to vote.
1: Yeah. And I actually knew a person who was here on a work visa from another country. And when you're in California for 30 days, you have to get a license here, whether you're a resident or not. You have to, 30 days is it. You cannot drive for more than 30 days. So she went to get her license and they, they asked her to register to vote. And she said, well, I'm not eligible to vote. I'm not a citizen. And they said, that doesn't matter. (laughs) They asked her, she probably did. She told me she didn't, but I would be surprised. I think they, they did. So yeah, they're, they're flouting those rules and it's possible. I mean, I don't know if you have any insider information on what they're actually teaching these election officials, but it is possible that they tell them that stuff on the inside. I mean, I know, and I know you're not in the habit of speculating. I can, you know, you're professional, but I, have you heard any, have you ever, has it ever been revealed to you? I mean, people aren't even responding to your requests.
0: No, I've I've never heard uh, of. I mean, I'm. I would say because it's so easy to vote. Um, of course, I think you could you could vote if you were, you know, if you weren't a citizen. I would I would imagine because I mean, the idea being, and, and it sometimes makes sense. You'd rather have somebody be able to vote than than simply disenfranchise them by not. But in 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 that. Uh, Inside that argument, you've also got to say, well, if we know, shouldn't we take some steps to just ensure that they are um, legally able to vote?
1: Yeah. And I just I just wonder. I mean, I I feel like this issue of the this organization. So you've got. You have a private organization, like a so-called like philanthropy. This Some of it's funded by philanthropic organiz- organizations like MacArthur, Foundation Gates, stuff like that. I, I don't know if I would call that philanthropy, but I guess in the capital P. So uh, they they put the money into this and it's just, it's really, it really took me minutes to really understand this. This is a some the public election are paid for with tax dollars. So if, I mean, I was thinking of how could this be manipulated? And I thought, well, if at the state level, they choke off the funding, then nobody really has funding to get, to get the vote out or to, to process the vote to make things go quickly. And then you, by choking it off, then a private entity like this, or the big money guys can pick and choose where they put the money. They say they don't, but I saw uh, from the statistics that you cited in some cases, probably most cases, 10 times the money uh, that they were that they were distributing to election officials went to places that went for Biden. So like $5 per voter went in a, ca- a Biden county and 50 cents per voter went to the Trump county. So however they're doing it, they're clearly favoring like, let's say, Democrat places. And I just, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to understand the mechanism by which they're doing it and what that, you know, how it could have an impact. And one thing I thought of was that they are literally picking and choosing where they put the money, although they deny it.
0: Well, they've got the vast troves of this data. And so you got, and you know that that's that's golden in terms of like a campaign, uh, political campaign, what it wants to do is get the data, the micro data down to the person in the district, you know, in the county, or wherever. They want to know exactly what their voting habits have been. They and they can get close, um, or at least make a educated guess. And and you're talking 2020, by the way, and this is where Yes. That. Yes. Um and it didn't they didn't have that money in 2022. So um so we're coming up to 2024. But um and they're not and I don't know if they're going to do it again. But the idea is You've got this data, and yes, you can sink more money. Now, think about it on the face of it, though. Going back to twenty twenty, I don't want to rehash this too much because it's been done to death. Your money would go to areas, say, it it would if you allocated money to where the need was greatest. That would be urban areas because they're, you know, they have a lot of uh, a lot of competition for that spending. yeah you're going to put more money in an urban area that urban area is going to tend to vote democratic so that would be their their plausible uh, a plausible explanation why um however it didn't just occur in the urban areas it even occurred in suburban areas that might trend uh had to elect democrats more so they were giving them a little bit you know they were giving them more money paying much more attention to it but even aside from that, they were doing voter registration, any place you could have and We've had a long time had same-day voter registration. You could register to vote and vote right there on the spot. That's happened for a long time. That's not something new. But they've gotten very good at that, these agents. Um, and again, they they aren't. They may not know which way this person is going to vote, but they have a great way to make an educated guess. Uh,
1: uh, a couple of things. One is I feel like from what I was reading in your articles about the, you know, the kind of lack of transparency. It does seem either that they're doing it or that it's possible that they're getting data. You know, they they solicit data from the people that they have the election officials they have relationships with. And I imagine that, you know, that's definitely risky. Like they say they want it because they want to help, but they should not have the you know, private entity like that who is clearly invested in one side of the political spectrum, for it to be mining data from the election officials under the guise of um, trying to help facilitate fair elections is just not believable. Like they are trying to get data from these people, and, and I'm guessing that they are getting.
0: it. They are getting it, and and uh, and a lot of this, and they, they insist that this is mostly public, ra- is all public record. Anybody can get it. Um, it's often very costly. And, uh, but they're managing to get it you know for for nothing. In fact, they're actually getting paid to get it because uh, these offices, these counties, these elections offices uh, pay them to join uh, to be part of their, uh, part of their operation and go to their trainings and, and you'll go you see like the agenda for some of these trainings and you'll have someone like the uh, some of the voting lawyers for the ACLU doing presentations and so on. And, they, uh, and these elections offices go to these. And, uh, yeah, I know. I, I was kind of surprised to see someone from the ACLU speaking. So he has a featured speaker at one of these uh, uh, these meetings.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's clearly a partisan thing. Um, so how are, you know, I, you've also pointed out that some Republican states are trying to ban this practice. So they're passing laws that private entities cannot contribute to public elections. Is that um, you think that's the end of it? Is that an an effective approach or, um, you know, because I'm also interested in the influence that federal money can also have, like the federal funding, like you mentioned in one of your articles, Help America Vote Act from 2002 there is still money slush, slashing around for the, for that, um, where the federal government gives money to local election boards. But, uh, you know, there's an, another issue, which would be the Biden's push for federalizing the process for elections, you know, local elections, but for national office. And I feel like there's, you know, Either you get it from the feds or you get it from this private, but they are, they will have uh, an impact on the political outcome.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, these elections offices do get, have a Help America Vote Act money. uh, And we've documented over the years, they just simply, some are spending it on, you know, coloring books, uh, you know, all this stuff gets spent on just odd things. It kind of speaks to, they have a survey of money, an abundance of money. But they're always going to say. I mean, have you ever met a government office that says, "Yeah, we're perfectly fine"?
1: <laughs> no, that's just,
0: that works. And uh, but yeah, they do. They they do have quite a bit of money, um, and and they still have reserves from some of their their federal money. They have plenty of reserves, and and it is true. Equipment breaks down. You need equipment that's up to date, and it, it, this, it these go through quite a process every many times a year in in, in, in a lot of cases. Well, um, so you do want to see that it's that it's funded. However, um, again, you should probably be applying strict guidelines to well, oversee the spending. Uh, that that be the easiest way is oversee the spending of the elections office.
1: And there are some things that, like uh, they want. I think it was a Biden thing wanted to do away with paper ballots. There are definitely initiatives to do away with paper ballots, which I absolutely object to. Like I feel like. uh, One time when I I lived in California previously, a long time ago, and at that time I voted at a neighbor's house and people were sitting around in the house and I went and it was like, it was, there were machines, but it was set up in somebody's house. It was only about 20 years ago. And I, I thought if you have enough of those, you can literally, and this is how they discovered some of the shenanigans around Ron Paul's Run where he was getting more votes than were being counted, There they were because there were such small places in Maine that people, everybody knew each other. Everybody knew who voted. There's like five ballots for cast, and we all know that three of us voted for Ron Paul, yet in this tally for Maine, not one Ron Paul vote popped up. And I feel like you could literally just write your vote on a piece of paper, put it in the shoebox, and if you have enough like people willing to do it in the neighborhood, you can follow your actual physical vote ballot if you had to and i just feel like the further obviously we're not going to do that but the further you get away from that the more um there is like real corruption it risks real corruption at that level it's i'm very suspicious when the feds want to take away paper ballots everywhere
0: yeah and and they haven't and i mean that's it's just you know so yeah i mean and just the act of voting is always going to be fraught i mean it's always been fraught, ever since we've cast ballots, right, all, you know, forever, go way, way back. So it's always fraud. Yeah. What seems different now is, is, is kind of this, uh, what's relatively new is the nonprofit push uh, into influencing and uh, the heavily funded uh, situation. I think it all came to light with the, in, in 2020, and it'll be interesting to see how it works in 2024. They had an excuse in 2020 for- Right. Uh, you know, for other things. And now, as you've seen, the uh, legislatures and states have tried to just, in most cases, simply go back to uh, the way it was pre, pre-COVID. And it, it's cast, of course, in the media as, uh, you know, as halting voter rights and you know, striking down voter rights. But that, that's pretty much erroneous. Although in the state I'm in, I'm in Texas, they made it really hard to vote meal in ballot uh if you were a businessman and this is shooting in the foot when you're if you're a businessman say you you go somewhere to uh, say you're on a a lot of us, a lot of you have three weeks you're going to be somewhere else voting somewhere you're going to be somewhere during early voting and during on election day well they say you can't just get an absentee ballot sent to you you have to have it sent to you at your address where you're at however if you're on town working you're staying at a hotel of course I don't know anybody can get can get. I can't even get anything at a hotel. <laughs> right. So, uh, so the idea that they want to mail you your absentee ballot say at a hotel, and that's the state of Texas. It's the only way you can get an absentee ballot if you're going to be out of town. I think that's a bad idea. So, they've gone in some some circumstances. They've gone the other way. The wrong.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not uh, totally opposed to mail-in ballots at all. It's just again, it's a, a matter of like the integrity in the process, which I also thought was kind of funny that um, you had quoted someone from Cato saying that like part of election integrity is perception.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I just I think that's funny because. Perception is important, but I've seen numerous times that like the push is for the perception of election integrity. Like that's literally—I remember Trump said that once. He's like, "We need the perception of election integrity. We need to like this and that." And I thought, you don't—you know what you need is election integrity, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then you will have the perception of election integrity.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's going to be always hard. You're always going to have people that are unconvinced you know, and, but you always yeah, have,
1: of course. But one thing that they, that I uh, was reading that you wrote was that, the this money, this private money that goes to the local election board or whatever, they can make really, there are no restrictions on how the money is spent, even to the point where they can actually make what the, what you called sub grants to local governments. So yeah. you could literally, I mean, if you, that would be a way that you could basically bribe a locale to accept whatever, you know, people you want to do, go door to door or whatever you want. If you tell a local government, we will give you money and you're only doing that to the places that you know will will vote the way you want. I mean, that to me is, a, is also like an extreme moral hazard.
0: Yeah. And that's also, by the way, knowing where to go. That's where that uh, microdata comes in very, very handy Yeah, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and again, we're, we're going back. That's 2020. We've got new grants now being given to select um, applicants, jurisdictions that apply to this CTCL. Um, I think so far 10, I think 11 now to Cobb County in Georgia got it. Um, and we got these these. Uh, Grants that are going to be entire that you know, they range about $1.3 million. And again, money that you don't have to do. You, you don't really have to, just do whatever you want. And it also has some very similar provisions to that grant money that came out from Zuckbox or what so-called Zuckbox in 2020.
1: There was another um, item I had noticed, but I actually could not find the article. So I'm hoping you'll just tell me about it. Um, that the role of media shaping American sentiment and opinion—obviously, that's as old as you know, as ballot box yeah. stuffing. But why is that on your radar, particularly now?
0: Well, it's always been on my radar, just because I always find because I'm in the in media, in the media, right? So I always thought that was really, really—I've always found it fascinating. And uh, I guess there's nothing more fascinating than somebody that watches the news and believes it, you know?
1: <laughs> I know.
0: And especially now because, I, if for example, you read a story about a lawsuit and you can access the lawsuit. now. You can just read it. You don't need the story anymore, right? Right. So well, I don't understand. And, and same with laws passed and, and, and so on. You can read the bill. You can read this stuff. Right. And, and I don't understand why people just want to let them... The media tell them what's in a bill or what's, you know, that kind of thing or what it means. I don't, I don't believe the media is any smarter than your average person. They don't know. They they don't know much more.
1: But they have such a, um, such a tremendous impact. This is what I've always, I've always loved this about politics, politicians, politics, academics, and, uh, the media is that they have this really outsized influence on what people think. And the rest of us outside of those three groups, if we're wrong, something bad happens. Like you lose your business or, you know what I mean? You, if you don't discipline your kid, it's spoiled. Like there's rubber hits the road. But in those in those industries, it's, it's like almost totally subjective. There does not seem to be very much of uh, accountability. I mean, maybe you get voted out of office, but uh, you know, it's like, especially in academics. And I just feel like they can get away. They're so influential and and yet there really, there's no feedback mechanism for them to be corrected.
0: No, no, there isn't. I mean, there, there should be, I mean, because the job of the media would be to look at both sides. And if somebody says one thing, say you're interviewing somebody, somebody said, you say, well, what about this notion? And then that would be the idea of, you know, You always try to get both sides and try to talk to everybody. Um, But that doesn't seem to be done so much anymore. Um, We've got a whole, you know, a generation of people that have been unscathed by a real scandal. I mean, remember back in the, I say we go back to the 70s, 60s, um, you'd have reporters who had either had relatives, parents who had been in wars, served in military, so on. They were very familiar with America and democracy and the fight for it. Today, we don't have any of that. These are these are kids that come out and become journalists. That they don't have much. Uh, they've never had really dire circumstances. Um, they've simply been taught in college, "This is how it goes," and uh, had, uh, had been influenced by that as well. And they they haven't had much reason to think independently and uh, and so on therefore they're just kind of following the leader.
1: I have a few observations um pertinent to that which is which are that uh there now that there are the news bureaus you know, associated press stuff like that like where they're just so consolidated very few so my sister went to the Columbia School of Journalism and she did really well because she went and got stories and the other literally in the school, like to do their assignments, they would, kids would pull stuff off of the AP and, okay. and they would say that it was reporting, but it was definitely not a primary source. Like a primary source is the person who's interviewing the person. And, and I um met somebody once who had run one of those and he said that they, they curate it. So they already tell you what even to talk about. Like they there's some stuff that they just put on the back burner because they just don't you know if they have a political bias or whatever that they just do not want. Uh you know, they can make that decision and when you have it centralized, that will, you know, impair journalism. Another thing that I think has changed a lot is I think foreign offices have shut down a lot. There's like not as many as there used to be. I notice here they have a, a law now that, or a rule that they follow, only one helicopter will go to the scene of an accident or, or some, so it used to be you'd have different sky choppers, whatever, for the different news, and you would have different reports. But now I was like, there are a couple of, we're at the end of a highway here, and, and there's like police chases, and uh, several times... Cars have been chased, you know, like criminals are chased off the highway into the town and hit people and cars. It's just where it is. And I always want to get the true story, but it's you can't. They, I, I always suspect they they soft pedal it because they don't want the cops to have problems. But you can only get the exact same story from every single news outlet because they only have one, you know, authorized one chopper there. So I feel like just the sources are drying up as well as even the individual journalists.
0: Yeah it's true. It's almost impossible. I mean, if you want a story on, a, on something that's going on, you don't I remember being in uh, California 2019, I guess, and there were some earthquakes, and I was out in Death Valley area, and I had been in Ridgecrest, you know, California, right? Yeah. I'd been in Ridgecrest and I went out to Death Valley, and then there was an earthquake in Ridgecrest. it out- a
1: huge one?
0: It was, a, it was in 2019, right? it oh, was, it was a
1: 2019. Pretty, yeah, so big. Like There was a huge one out in North, whatever. It
0: was pretty big, and I wanted to just know about it because I was curious, and I'd been out during the day, and I got back to my hotel, and I got a line, and I couldn't find hardly, yeah, I could find very little on this. First of all, because it was outside of Los Angeles, outside mm-hmm. of Madrid. And so you were getting, and I saw they had House on Fire, they had- old, they ran, I could even tell, I could look at it on, I turned on the TV too, and I used to see old footage of a house on fire, say, and they tried to represent that as a Christmas.
1: Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, which was kind of funny. And um
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's anti-news.
0: I was so frustrated because I couldn't find any real news on this earthquake. And then of course, we had a... a at Trimoral where I was, and that was the first time I'd ever been in an earthquake. I thought that was super exciting. I to know me. I
1: love earthquakes too. I know that's a yeah, terrible thing to say, but it's like it's so exciting <laughs>
0: something happening um and it was pretty exciting and but but that that was the frustration was they just didn't have they didn't have the manpower they didn't have anybody that was any good doing this and so and they didn't even have live footage they had to sub out footage so but that happens we've seen that a lot right Yes. You've, Pictures and the footage, yes. not even per- pertinent to the, uh, you know, to the the story. They just say, "Well, let's find some footage of something on fire."
1: And it's and it's maddening because what you want is to be able to form your own impressions, and you want to actually, you know, you want that raw data to really understand a nuance that maybe the journalist doesn't impart. You know, it didn't catch you. want those pictures. They they matter. And if it's the wrong picture, it's worse because it takes away from your understanding.
0: Yeah. Not only that, and then you don't trust anybody. But yeah. And and that's what the, the beauty of, you know, there came along mid to late 2000s, like, you know, re- groups, media groups would actually embed, like if you were going to talk about a lawsuit or a bill, you would embed that. You'd have a hot link and you can look at it yourself. For me, the story ends once I can read it myself. Right? I don't need their yeah but they know, don't
1: do that anymore
0: but they don't it's it's harder to get sometimes. I remember the New York Times uh, a few years ago ran stories that talked about uh, President Trump's tax forms. They had obtained certain parts of them I, I can't remember exactly and I read the story and I thought, well I want to see these you know um, but they didn't they wouldn't they didn't hotlink and now to me the first thing to do would be to hotlink let's everybody see these. But they just didn't do that.
1: Yeah, I didn't notice when it changed, but that drives me crazy. And I I recall the last, one of the last times I did find a a, read an article that had a lot of those links, I clicked through and clicked through and it was a circle. So it it never went to a primary source, it just went to Um, another like Wall Street Journal article that.
0: Yeah. You know, and I'm still like, talking about the story, fishy. right?
1: Yeah. Fishy. I see like, that, that a lot prove anything to me and, it, yeah. That, yeah. and it's irresponsible. And I, even in my crappy little blog, I'll always, I'll link every single thing, every, every source, because I want people to understand where I got the information, but maybe it's as simple as they don't want people leaving the page, but I feel like it's, it's could be sloppy journalism or worse intentional. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a great idea though. I mean, it's a, what a what wonderful. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. Like self-verifying, like you can really authenticate and, and the, the standards for credibility would be up. So they, you know, cause you would have to present your evidence every single time. And I feel like they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't do that. If uh, they, they don't want to raise the bar. And one thing I wanted to point out, you said something about trust is I feel like the American, uh, media consumer is actually the most vulnerable in the world because we have been raised on this idea of, we have a free press and, you know, people will be sued for libel or whatever if they, if they don't. I remember it was Shep Smith said about MH 17, which was the flight that went over that, um, was shot down or whatever over Ukraine as they were reporting on it that day, he said, well, Vladimir Putin just murdered 300 people. And I was like, wow. there's so so much not journalism in that. And you think that he could, you know, you get used to thinking that they're not going to say something that isn't true because there would be repercussions. But then I realized like there aren't any.
0: No, there are repercussions and you don't see corrections very often either. Right. In, in, in stories. And it, it's, it's funny how that's kind of, just gone away. Either they're getting it all right every time or um, they're just not heeding that. Mm. I mean you 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 do write stories and people ask for corrections. Sometimes they, they they're needed. And of course a lot of the time they ask for corrections and they're not. And so yeah. mean, but that's for the outlet to be responsible and and to determine. Uh, but yeah, like that you say like and on T V that's um uh, that's so it, it goes it comes and goes so quickly. You know what I mean? You yes. can't just go, and go well. No, I guess that wasn't Putin that killed them. You know, yeah. You can't. lose not And so I remember oh, 2022, last year. I guess it was, it was. I mean, and you hear them go crazy, and like there's somebody. On, I was watching the CNN. It was election night, and some some one of the CNN people called one of the candidates a rabid election denier. Cleanest <laughs> thing. Well, I realize, like a rabbit, you're even one. These kinds of things can be fun, and again, if you have a sense of humor about it, it helps.
1: Yes, but you need to have some objective truth to really have good humor. But yeah. but you did point out also that there that there are laws and pressure from the federal government to not not investigate elections and that to me like to to shut down investigations into a particular subject without having any standard whatsoever for what's valid and invalid that is dangerous
0: yeah that was a strange order and I didn't learn about that that was the order that said you can't well I'll go back to this situation in Texas where one person uh went out and got and applied for mail ballots for 400 people that was strange And uh, I think we said, I think out of that, we're like ninety-seven or eight percent were Democrats. Well, they said they wanted to be in the Democratic primary. They they were, they just, they were my members that they're part of the Democratic block. And uh, the Secretary of State's office in Texas, your first thought is, let's contact these voters. Now, what was the interaction between them, the person coming to their place saying, "You want to, you want to vote? Yeah, we'll get you a mail-in ballot." And you know, and then their act of voting. That's what you want to do. And the uh, Secretary of State's office wanted to do that, but uh, it could not because of an order handed out by the uh, Department of Justice. And you know, it's almost explicitly warning you you can't go knock on the voters' door and find out what happened.
1: Yeah, so there is no investigation. And um for for me it does matter because here, so I said like years ago when I voted, I voted at my neighbor's house on a piece of paper. This it's so different now. I I went to vote. It was at, I don't know what some, some, some public place and they're not allowed to ask for voter ID. And I went up and they found my name on a list. I had to be registered to vote. And I said, well, I noticed that they didn't say I had to go to my voting place. So I don't know if you still have this, but like you had used to be, you had to go to your voting place, the place that's closest to you. And they said, no, you can vote anywhere. And I said, I can vote anywhere. So are you saying that once you check off my name and give me a ballot, I can go literally to the next town and vote there and then vote in the next town and the next town and the next town. Are you coordinating this information somehow? And she said, no, but if you, if your name gets checked off more than one place at the end of the day, we write, write a report. (laughs) and I was like you won't know what votes not to count if I vote 10 times I might get in trouble but you don't know who I voted for you can't correct the tally that's right I mean that's what she said to me now maybe I'm wrong about it working that way but I was like this system is whack and she said no you know that that is how it works but it's fine I was like it's definitely not fine (laughs) that's
0: great um so so You can vote. You're in. You can vote any place in your county. Any place you want to. Yes,
1: that's what that's what she said. And it didn't have. It used to have an address on the thing that you got that said. Yeah, yeah. They. It doesn't have an address anymore. Like you just find the place. And I was completely mystified. I maybe I am missing something. If somebody in LA is listening to this, but it was just that she said that I should have just done it. I should have just gone to the next place and seen what happened because she was. Checking it off on a piece of paper. It wasn't even in a computer. So it should be in a computer where you just it would flow through yeah. the system. Like yeah. Monica Perez has voted. <laughs>
0: sure. Absolutely. A, that's that's very crazy. interesting. Well, California's really, you know, it's definitely loosened its yeah. uh I mean you it's, got its you
1: grip got, on sanity.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you got ballot harvesting there that's really Really crazy. And the, uh, and
1: the voting of people who are ineligible to vote, such as undocumented people, which I, I say to people who don't want voter ID, I'm like, that's totally, I, I will have that conversation with you if you want. But what you need to do, the conversation you need to have is is being present the only criterion for voting? Just don't say that you have to be a citizen to vote if you aren't going to ask anyone to demonstrate that they are qualified. If you're saying being there is enough, then let's have that conversation. Is it enough? And in New York, to their credit, they wanted to honestly say that and say, like people who are here uh, illegally do not, you know, they can still vote. I mean, that that was something that was happening in New York. I, I don't know if you remember that story, but- yeah,
0: yeah, I do. I do. Um, yeah, I mean, and I mean, there's a lot of nuance to this stuff, and I think that uh, you know, um, and again, it's it's not a very exact science, but voting's never been an exact science.
1: No, no, that's true. But it would be nice if it if there were an attempt at yeah. integrity. So I guess perception does matter. But I wanted to tell you before we wrap. I just wanted to tell you about a case because we were talking about media and journalism, and how far this has really gone. Do, did you ever hear of the journalist? Um, I think she was a TV journalist, Jane Aker, A K R E. No. She Yeah, she's not around anymore in that capacity for sure. But she works for uh, WTVT in Tampa, Florida, which is a Fox News station. And she and her husband at the time, Steve Wilson, wrote a uh, story on the level of hormones that were in milk. In specific, you know, they did a really great uh, article about it. It was supposed to go on the air and uh, it got spiked, I think. And... They investigated why, and it ended up that I believe it was A- who was Ailes, Roger Ailes, got wind of it. I don't know how, but called the studio and said, "Don't, don't show this." And Jane Aker sued, got some money because she then she quit over it. She got some money, and then it got went to appeal, and at appeal they reversed the verdict, saying that because I think what Fox did was they actually aired it, but. But but changed the information to say that there really isn't that many hormones in it, which was like untrue. And the argument that the court used was that news is not supposed to be reliable information. It's entertainment.
0: (laughs) Is
1: that is that amazing?
0: That's pretty apt. And when it comes to TV news, it's pretty apt, probably. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, but, but people think it goes to this American vulnerability. People think it's news. they think it's cold news,
0: (laughs) like we said before, people have watched the news and actually believe remarkable.
1: They should not be doing that. Okay. Well, it was super, super fun talking to you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed reading your articles and I'm looking forward to reading more. You have an open invitation for anything you want to discuss. My listeners will, I'm sure love to hear it. And, and your, um, Real clear investigations is the best place to find your work. And you've also, can you, do you want to um, tell us like the most recent book you wrote or something that might give somebody a little more? A,
0: I haven't read a book for a few years. And so uh, I haven't decided if I was going to do that again. Because yeah. It it's, gets more fun over the years.
1: It's a lot of work, right? I mean, it's, it's
0: just. You know, to be honest, writing news is probably. After doing this 30 years, I'd say it, I every time I'd do a book, I'd say, you know, this just isn't as fun as doing news. Yeah. And, uh, and, it, and it just, it uh, still seems the most fun. So. Well,
1: I love the way you write. And I love, you know, you're very balanced, very good journalism. Like, it's very clear you're not speculating. And uh, I just, I really enjoyed it and enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you so much for being here.